Last week, Doug talked about a counterfeit salvation and how uh, people substitute a moral life for uh, salvation, uh, a knowledgeable life for salvation, and a religious life for salvation. And we learned that uh, it's not a substitute for the real thing. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to heaven, or no one gets, comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. It's really a great sermon because it's breaking down the falsehoods uh, that are prevalent in today's society. We watched a video last week and a bunch of people were trying to, uh, to talk about what they think happens when you die. And then towards the end, uh, people were talking about uh, how they viewed heaven. Those that believed in heaven, how they thought they would get to heaven. And it was, it was really pretty sad because they just didn't get it. Um, and I, I came from that. I came from, uh, from a mentality of, uh, of and grown up around that, of that not getting it, not figuring out how your salvation uh, comes about. And uh, to give you an example, my mom, uh, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, my, uh, my parents weren't believers. You know, they were close, but kind of, you know, they just didn't get it. And uh, my mom would literally drive me to a Christian church across town in Phoenix uh, every Sunday, and uh, she'd drive me to church and then come and pick me up, which is just a miracle in itself that she would go do that. But uh, on this particular Sunday, uh, one of my, my best friend, he and his family had bought me a Bible with my name on it, and, uh, and I'm pretty new to this, to this whole thing. And uh, I'm, I'm driving home with my mom, and my concern as a sixth or seventh grade kid was, you know, for the salvation of my mother. And so I, I was getting in on my mom, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, talk to her about, about salvation. And I said, Mom, you know, I, I really want you to go to heaven with me. And she said, oh, James, I haven't killed anybody. I'm going to go to heaven. And I was like, oh. And that, so I bowed my head, and I said, God, show me a scripture in this new Bible that you've given me to prove to my mom that it's not about her righteousness, but that it's about your grace. And so I opened my Bible and, and I pointed my finger down on a, on a random scripture. And it happened to be 1 Peter 4.18, which says, If it's so hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Basically saying that the righteous aren't saved. Because you're not saved unless you're going through Jesus. Remember John 14.6 14, 6 says, No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus speaking. My mom didn't get it. And it's a scary thought that because people like my own mom are trying to base their salvation on their own self-proclaimed righteousness. And thanks to Doug, we know that it's not going to cut it. If you weren't here last week, the, the sermon, if you missed it, you can get a copy of the sermon on a CD out, uh, on the back table outside those doors. Those are always available to you every week. And uh, if, you, if you miss something, you can always go to that. Also, iTunes. If you haven't figured it out yet, all the sermons, at least they should be on there. All of them should be on iTunes. All you have to do is type in our initials of the church, NLCCP, New Life Community Church Palestine. Put that in there and it'll automatically pop up and you can get all the podcasts, which are basically the sermons uh, each week. And so if, you, if you're into the digital age where you uh, download stuff, then uh, that's always available to you. This week, we're going to continue in. Uh, on the counterfeit series and uh, talk about a counterfeit community. 
I guess we need to start out by defining what a community is. And instead of giving you the, the typical definition of a preacher and the Hebrew and Greek origin of the word community, we're just going to define it as a group of people, okay? Maybe in a, a, in a certain area, a designated area, or a, a group of people with a common belief system. When I'm referring to a community, I'm going to refer to them as uh, a group of people with common beliefs. This church is a community. This city made up of, of, of Christian churches is a community. All of, uh, all of the Christian churches all together can be a community. We can consider a community as something that's already in place, something that's already there, uh, but we can also communi- consider community as something to achieve. And the achievable community is something you have to work towards. And I like to think that community is something that's already in place, but ra- not already in place, but rather something we need to continually work at. That kind of community takes work. It takes commitment. So today we're going to define what a counterfeit community looks like and uh, see if we can develop a legitimate community in its place. When I think of counterfeit, personally, uh, my mind goes to money. And uh, counterfeit money is, is dangerous and it's, it's a bit scary. I listened to a guy talk about his fear of, of going, to a, going somewhere and, and pulling out a, a $50 bill or a $100 bill and the... The cashier pulls out the marker and uh, he's got this fear inside of, of being found out that, you know, somehow he has this counterfeit bill. He's been slipped it. And I've got that same fear. I'm, I'm scared to death every time I go to Walmart and, you know, even 20s, they'll check 20s sometimes. And I'm so paranoid that I'm going to be slipped a, a counterfeit bill that I actually, and I'm a little OCD. So I, I literally separate my money in my wallet by where it came from. So that up ahead of time, I'm like thinking up ahead so that if I ever slip a 20, you know, and, and they're like, hey, this isn't right. Then I'd be like, I got it from the Dollar General. You know, like I know where I got it from. I'm not really that OCD, but if I talk about it, then, you know, I've thought about it. So maybe, maybe I am. Uh, seriously, though, when counterfeit money's entered into our economy, it lowers the value of our currency. And uh, just like counterfeit money lowers our currency, Counterfeit community lowers the value of the church. There are so many ways counterfeit Christians and counterfeit communities have lowered the value of the church and, and the worth of the eyes of the non-believers and the believers. And I'm also almost, I'm sure almost everybody has experienced uh, somebody that doesn't like the church. Maybe not this church, but doesn't like church in general. And, uh, you have to wonder, why do they not like the church? You know, why, why do they hate the church? And just like Doug said last week, they just haven't experienced the real thing. That's the whole thing, is they just haven't experienced it. People don't like church because they don't like the drama that goes along with it. They've experienced a counterfeit community where sinners aren't welcome, and they give up on Christianity and the church. And it's hard not to. Uh, it's hard not to. This counterfeit community is made up of fakes and forgers. And the church is mean. So let's look at the first characteristic of a counterfeit community. The community is made up of hypocrisy. Most of us have experienced this aspect of, of, uh, of community. This is probably the, the number one complaint of all, uh, of all church people, churches. It's, there's, it's full of hypocrisy. People say, 
man, I don't go to church because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we are. So how do we change the image of where we don't give credibility to that? How do we change the image of the church away from mask-wearing hypocrites? For one thing, we admit our faults. We admit when we're wrong. We talk about real things, and we open up about real lives. You know, Facebook is a great way to, uh, to see who's being hypocritical. I read your posts. I read it when you, when you post scriptures. And then a couple hours later, post cuss words. Some people see that as hypocrisy. Some people uh, see that as just the struggle of trying to live up to the standards of Christ. I see it as just uh, bad judgment, basically. It's evident and it uh, feeds people's thoughts about our community when you do it. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus confronts the Pharisees by saying in verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And again, in verse 15, almost the same thing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus makes it clear he's not a fan of hypocrisy, and he confronts those who are damaging the kingdom by leading people in the wrong direction and by being two-faced. When I was in college, uh, I went to a university where uh, it was a Christian university, and uh, when I was there, there was a, a president that's no longer there but he had a TV show, and uh, my senior year, it was required for everybody that lives in the dorm to go to the taping of, of uh, this TV show. And so I was only in the dormitory the, the first semester of my senior year, and I go, and uh, I, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I don't think anybody on my wing wanted to go because the president had, had shown hypocrisy to me and, and the other uh, people at my school. And uh, to give you an example, on chapel days, uh, he would get up there and, and uh, he and his wife, and they would talk about the debt. The university was $20 million in debt when I was, when I was there. And every, uh, every chapel service, he'd get up and talk about how we were in debt, and he'd be wearing a brand new suit, and his wife would have diamond earrings that were sparkling from the stage all the way to the, to the back row of this huge chapel. And this gold, and it could have been costume jewelry. I don't know. He could have been given those suits. I don't know. But looking at it, it was hard not to go, man, you're wearing the debt. You're wearing the debt. How can you get up and talk to me about debt when you're wearing it? So anyway, I go to this, this taping and I've already got eyes that are watching for him to make a mistake because I'm just expecting it out of this guy. And uh, t- towards the end of the, of the taping, there's a, a visitor that's, uh, that's praying, you know, a guest. And, and uh, the, guys, the guy and his wife are on the couch and they're praying. And as soon as the camera gets off of the president, I watch him lift up his head and start yelling at the cameraman, you know, under his breath. And I'm watching because I'm just waiting for this guy to screw up. And uh, I think that the director had a, had a sense of humor like I did because the camera went directly on him as soon as he did it. And he did one of these numbers, praise God. And I about died laughing, falling out of my chair because it was just, 
you know, it was just so typical. And it was so sad because how many people are watching this guy every day on TV and just, you know, being led by somebody that appeared to me to be so hypocritical. The thing about hypocrisy is that it's, it's easy for everybody to see. People can form opinions about your relationship with Christ in a matter of seconds. To fight the image and the character deficiency of hypocrisy, we need to open up to each other. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's no coincidence that James, the brother of Jesus, is talking about confessing sins to one another because he was describing a community. His brother Jesus developed community, his whole, his whole ministry. He always had people around him. He was developing that community amongst other followers. The thing about it is, others see your faults. You're not keeping it a secret. You're going to be accepted more and you're going to be seen as greater uh, in the community when you recognize your own faults and show that you're human. The community then works together to, to help you, to love you through your faults and to forgive you. The second characteristic of a counterfeit community is the presence of broken relationships. Many of us have belonged to a church that, uh, that was full of fighting and, and conflict. Sister so-and-so didn't like that you wore pants to church and if she didn't just come to you and, and shun you right there and tell you that you were a no-good sinner, she goes and speaks about you to the other ladies and they all nod their head in disapproval that you wore pants to church. Your music's too loud. There's no place for that in this church. I shun you. The pastor mentioned you by name from the pulpit two years ago, and you're still holding it in. You saw Deacon Faberschmidt at Walmart, and you're just sure he saw you, but he didn't say hi. So-and-so didn't get a discount at the tire store where the owner is a fellow parishioner. The leader of your small group is horrible with, with social gatherings and doesn't plan a Christmas party and like the other small groups. And... <laughs> And you just hate the leader because he's his lack of social skills. If this is a character, if this is a characteristic of a counterfeit community, then the absence of broken relationships and the presence of fixed and healthy relationships make up a legitimate community. There's going to be conflict. There's always going to be conflict. It's only natural to have conflict. We're a body of uh, of believers that aren't perfect. But. Here's where the difference is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and 16, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Jesus gives the key to breaking the counterfeit community here. He says, go and show him his fault. He then tells you to do it in a reparable way. In other words, uh, he shows you how to fix the broken relationship. He says, just between the two of you, that means you have a problem with somebody, you go to that person, just you and that person. You don't involve your friends at this point. You don't call the pastor and say, so-and-so hurt my feelings. You go to that person that hurt you, that did something to offend you, and you show them their fault, and you move on. Paul says something in, uh, similar in Galatians 6.1. He says, brothers, I always, whenever I see like brothers in the start of a sentence, I always think of Hulk Hogan, brothers! 
If someone is caught up in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. The key word is gently. Back to Jesus' words, he says in the second part of what we read, that if, uh, if that person that you confronted listens to you, then good. Problem solved. Get over it. It's done. Ladies, that means don't put it in your bag of no-nos to pull out in a year from now when someone messes up again. It's done with. You brought it up. The person says sorry or whatever, and it's done. Jesus then describes what to do if that person doesn't take it very well. He says in uh, verse 16, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So again, it appears that Jesus is trying to go the way of mending the broken relationships by love and not more brokenness. He says to take some people to be witnesses to keep the conversation from going sour, possibly bringing uh, other people to say, hey, I've noticed you've been falling off the wagon lately and uh, we want to help you. We want to love you. And uh, we've noticed. Key word is love, by the way. So we know conflict is natural and we must learn to resolve conflict and have what I call healthy conflict resolution. It's just up to you to do it. The hard part for some people is to actually confront the conflict. And uh, a lot of people uh, do what I do. And, and that means you, you gloss over conflict. You, don't, you try to avoid it. The Bible clearly states that we need to go to the source of the conflict and, uh, and be frank with them. And in Proverbs 28, verse 23, it says, In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. Does that seem right to you? It's an old proverb. Healthy conflict resolution and developing legitimate community takes humility. We know that the Bible says that God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. I read an author that once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Basically not saying I am poop but thinking of of not saying anything because you're not even thinking of yourself. That will certainly cause less broken relationships. And when you're thinking of yourself less, uh, then things will be a lot better. The third characteristic of a counterfeit community is the community uses exclusion. So what is exclusion? Exclusion is a word that you can't help but use the word in the definition. Uh, Exclusion means to exclude people. What's funny is that I actually looked it up and the dictionary did the exact same thing. It used the word exclude in the definition, which I thought was funny. Exclusion means to keep out, to leave out, to bar from, to eliminate, to segregate. A counterfeit community will exclude people from their community. Now, it can be tough to be a community that's built around good things like Jesus and love and my wife and and not exclude things like drugs and uh, homosexuals and sinners. But that's what the Bible tells us to do. Romans chapter 15, verse 7 says, Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's really the goal of Christianity, isn't it? To bring glory to God, to bring praise to God. So by accepting one another as Christ accepted us as as dirty as we are, we can bring God praise. And that's what we want to do. Exclusion is a characteristic that's easily seen by outside of the community. 
If you watch TV, Christians are haters. You're all a bunch of haters. By the modern media, they think we're all a bunch of haters. Why do they think we're haters? Maybe because we've kind of excluded ourselves and made our own little uh, segregated community, which doesn't show love to people that aren't like us. There's little difference between them and us. I'm a sinner that hates sin, but I sure do love it about two seconds before I do it and then go back to hating it again. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We don't have to hate people. A community of exclusion is a community that thinks that we're perfect and sinless and uh, without blame. I don't know any anybody that's sinless, perfect, or without blame. And if there was a group that, that was like that, if I joined them, I, I certainly would uh, ruin that for them because I'm not, I'm not sinless. The worst part of it all is that most of the excluders don't even realize that they're doing it. Every church thinks that they're a friendly church, but we know that they're not all friendly. I, really, it's pretty funny because uh, most churches aren't even close to being a friendly church. So how do we experience legitimate community? We use inclusion. We include people on what God's doing. We've all heard stories about somebody not being dressed nice enough to be at church and somebody like an usher comes up and taps you on the shoulder and says, "Uh, son, you're not wearing a tie and you can't come in here looking like that. That's superficial inclusion. Real inclusion is accepting people no matter how they're dressed, accepting people no matter how much sin is in their life, accepting people no matter how lost they are. Some churches don't want you to come if you're a Christian. I don't, I don't get that. I mean, some churches have, have closed enrollment and they'll tell you, you know, we're not accepting any new, new members right now. Uh, you're going to have to wait till the Philobothams pass away in the next two years. There are churches out there that, don't, that won't accept you. We've got enough members. Thank you. Real inclusion is showing real friendliness to people, real gratitude when somebody new comes in, remembering the names of the people you greeted at the door, inviting people to your small group, telling somebody you like what they're wearing. Here's one. Finding the commonality between yourself and the person that you're talking to. Oh, I've got an uncle in Baltimore. Visiting somebody in the hospital. Letting somebody use your truck, not sitting in the same place, getting upset when uh, somebody sits in your usual chair. That's always a, a scary thought coming to a church for the first time, not knowing, you know, whose chairs are, are reserved. You know, I was, whenever I was going to a new church, I'd always come in late so that I could see where everyone was sitting. And I'd get up to my chair and I'd look to see if it was worn or had the permanent butt indentations in it. Because, you know, nothing's like the wrath and the scorn of, of somebody when you're sitting in their chair at church. <laughs> I'm serious. There's, uh, there's nothing like it. You want to be inclusive? Invite a visitor to sit next to you. That's a good one. You see somebody new? Why don't you invite them to sit next to you? Make them feel like they're included. Park your car or truck as far away from the front door as possible so that the new people can park up close. Or maybe the people with handicap signs on their car. Uh, you want to be inclusive? Quit staying around just talking to the people that you know. Don't be part of a clique. 
inside of the church. That's real inclusion. That's real community. So let's review a little bit before, uh, before we conclude today. We as Christians need to achieve legitimacy as we build community. We do this by taking out the, the counterfeit characteristics of community, like hypocrisy, broken relationships, and exclusion. And we follow what the Word of God says. In Romans twelve eighteen says, Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Everything possible. Seems easy enough, but I, I know it can be a struggle. If you take out your registration cards, green or red or whatever color you have today, here's what I want you to do. Fill out the front of it so that we can have uh, the usual uh, information so that we can keep track of what's going on and if you moved or a new phone number or keep track of what's, uh, whatever your information is. But then on the back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down, if God is showing you that you need to work on one of these three characteristics, hypocrisy, broken relationships, or uh, being exclusive, then, uh, then write that down. Might just be one of them, might not be any, might be all three. But if you feel the tugging in your heart that, uh, that God's kind of speaking to you and saying, hey, these are the things we need to work on to develop legitimate community.